Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand via Zoom. Hi, guys. Hello. And wave once again. Um, socially distanced on this edition, not at U.S. Bank Stadium anymore. The Vikings will be traveling to Lucas Oil Stadium on Sunday to face the Colts. We'll break down that game, uh, all the elements to that, and answer some of your uh, questions via Twitter. You can always send them to us and send them. Might as well pile on top of me. You can send them to at Andrew underscore Kramer. That's K-R-A-M-M-E-R on Twitter. Um, Guys, we should start with kind of the topic of of the week here going into this game. The Vikings looking to rebound from really poor defensive showing. Um, maybe Phillip Rivers is going to help and kind of get them back on track after what the Vikings saw in December from Phillip Rivers. Um, ben, we were talking pre-show. You kind of brought up a good thread that ties both Phillip Rivers and Kirk Cousins together and kind of their different approaches to risk aversion. It was just last week we see um, Kirk Cousins throw to the one-on-one Tajay Sharp instead of taking a chance to Adam Thielen on fourth down in a moment where the Vikings really could have used maybe more of a risk taken at that moment. Um, I think Phillip Rivers probably would have thrown that pass, whether or not he gets picked off or not. What do you think? (laughs) Yeah, he probably would have. And and Cousins said on Sunday that he, he doesn't like throwing to uh, doesn't like throwing goal balls to receivers when there's a safety over the top. So, I mean, that probably tells you that he made the decision pre-snap where he was going to go with the ball, regardless of how Thielen, got off the line of scrimmage. And yeah, that, that is probably where the read takes you, assuming that your receiver on one side is of equal ability to your receiver on the other, which is certainly not the case here. I mean, it, it's how he went about it. And the sort of ability to go through his progression has helped him get to where he is. He's not a guy that turns the ball over a ton, at least not throwing interceptions. So there's that piece of it people don't like necessarily the risk aversion and, and you have to find a balance somewhere. I think I, you know, that's probably a ball he could have thrown. And I think giving himself a chance to complete it, give Adam Thielen a chance to make a play there. But the reason he doesn't kill you sometimes is probably also the reason that he shrinks back from some of these moments. So there's, there's two sides to it, but yeah, Philip Rivers, I think probably throws the ball. Philip Rivers has been a guy that, you know, throws 15 interceptions, 17, 18 interceptions a year a lot of times. But he's also a guy that pulls a lot of things out. So it's kind of what type of quarterback you want if you want somebody that's going to be a little more conservative and, and keep you out of trouble, or you want somebody that's, that's going to go Michael Blay. <laughs> <laughs> there had to be one there. Yeah, there had to be. Uh, you know, Talking about gunslingers. They are. been Cousins has expressed admiration for Rivers in the past too, which is kind of interesting yeah. that they're different quarterbacks. But what, you know, one thing that as we're talking this through that kind of strikes me, this isn't a quarterback thing so much as it's just a Vikings reality of 2020 thing is maybe that play was the best kind of illustration of how things are different this year with Stefan Diggs gone. You don't have that kind of, you know, you got Adam Thielen, who's kind of your guy. And then if you're going to go away from that on, on fourth and three, it's not too, someone like Stefan Diggs as a second, you know, I was a one a it's a Tajay Sharp who, you know, I'm sure he's, you know, he's one of the very best wide receivers in the world, but you know, maybe isn't one of the, you know, isn't a marquee name in the NFL. And 
that's really the ball game right there. And I don't I mean I'm not saying Stefan Diggs still being here, he catches that pass, or if it's you know in a, you know more developed Justin Jefferson at a certain point if he makes that play. But you know throwing a throwing a one on one pass to a you know a more accomplished receiver is, as he's had in the past is a different story possibly. I like the backdrop of, of your analysis. Is that like a child's toy in the background? We can hear the the little musical melody. I like that. Yeah, I should probably close the close the door here. Um, <laughs> no, I, I yeah, love that. I feel a, like ESPN needs to sports center should should kind of accompany that sometimes. I feel like we need to change up the background music. I like it. Um, when I when I wear headphones, I can hear very little except for one thing. <laughs> that that's the background, and then the the Zoom background for those of you who are listening on the audio version is Brad Childress holding up a jersey with Percy Harvin after the draft in two thousand nine. So yeah. You got quite the uh, quite got, the sensory got, experience here. Got a whole whole range of emotions here. Whole range. <laughs> um, ben, you wrote last year about about Kirk Cousins' relationship with Philip Rivers. I guess where does it stem from? And they they were part of a, kind of a Sunday or no? It was like a quarterback Bible group. Or yeah, yeah, they've been part of a group of quarterbacks. It's it's Cousins, it's Rivers, it's Case Keenum, Carson Wentz, Jameis Winston. I believe has been a part of it. Um, a number of guys run the league that, that basically just kind of have a, a occasional get together on it, probably more of an online community than anything else, but uh, to talk about their faith. And, and that, so they've connected through that, but I think cousins also has been, you know, I had a conversation with him at the beginning of last season and I, we just started talking about quarterbacks that this idea that the, the metric of a great quarterback is somebody that can win even when things are breaking down around him. And he brought up, and I, I certainly Aaron Rodgers came up, but he also brought up Philip Rivers in that conversation. And he said, I can sell, I consider Philip Rivers to be a dude. I mean, he's a guy that can go out and win by himself and has done it at times in his career. But he said, you look at him, he's had years where that hasn't worked for him or he's turned the ball over a lot when he hasn't had pieces around him either. So it, it was interesting in the sense just that he, Rivers is not the guy that you typically first hear brought up a lot. And some of that's he played on the West Coast. He played in small market in San Diego. He played for teams that, uh, you know, made the playoffs plenty, but he never has been to a Super Bowl. And, and the numbers kind of get overshadowed a little bit in, in this era of Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, a little bit later in that era. But when you talk about those quarterbacks, Rivers doesn't come up very much. And I think some of that is a lack of playoff success. Some of it's where he's played. But it was interesting to hear Cousins say, on my list of guys that I look at is guys, frankly, in the conversation, what he was saying at the time, guys that have done it at a higher level than me, uh, Philip Rivers was one of the first names he brought up. So there's certainly an admiration there, I think. Yeah, for those who don't know, Philip Rivers obviously has left San Diego after or L.A. Now I should say, I'm always going to mess that it up. Should still be San Diego. I'm always going to mess that up. It should. You you didn't mess that up. He has also left San Diego. <laughs> Actually, he hasn't. I mean, well, he's he's left there now, but he had, he did not leave San Diego when the Chargers moved to L.A. Because I think didn't he like charter a like some super tricked out bus so he could still. Basically, have somebody driving to practice. It sounded awesome, but I think I think he was commuting on like yeah. some very nice, very nice you, bus from San Diego. You try, you try moving forty-seven kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Be a little difficult to do it. For those that don't know, he's he's left LA Chargers after sixteen seasons. He's with the Indianapolis Colts. Lost the opener in a very Philip Rivers fashion. It's just amazing that within space and time, he can leave the Chargers. He can leave head coaches. He can leave 
teammates and players that he's been around. He can leave the entire defense that have been giving up leads for years in L.A., and he can go to the Colts, and they what do they do? They give up a lead after he throws an interception in the fourth quarter. Um, and Frank Reich, the head coach for the Colts, we talked to him on a conference call today. He had said while Phillip Rivers threw those two interceptions in the game, he said the first one was more on the play call and on him. Couldn't really say the same for the second one, which was the fourth quarter pick that kind of ended their comeback attempt. It was just very Philip Rivers fashion. Somewhere in the world, Philip Rivers is always down 34 to 20 with seven minutes left in the late <laughs> afternoon game on CBS, throwing a touchdown, hoping to get an onside kick to get one more chance at it and or throwing an interception on the last drive when he does. doesn't matter where he's yep. playing. Somewhere in the world, he is doing that. Yeah, and I feel like if, if one of his children end up playing football, that, that it's going to be the Rivers curse. No matter what position that, that kid plays, those games are going to be down and come to the wire and, and really come down to how that kid plays. It was, um, also, it was also a very Xavier Rhodes finish. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves on that, but uh, he was burned badly on the uh, game-winning touchdown. It sounds like you saw it. I actually didn't see it. So what happened? Oh, I, I mean, I'm just, I don't know. I don't know what kind of defense they were playing, but his, he was the closest to the man that caught the ball and the guy was open by like 15 yards. So he just looked like, looked like he was anticipating the guy was going to come and like curl. And instead of coming across, he just kept going across and Xavier's life over. It was not good. It was, it was not great. Yeah, so the Vikings will will see Xavier Rhodes on Sunday um, with the Colts, as Mike just mentioned. Um, I didn't get to see his debut with the Colts, but Mike Zimmer was asked about it, and Zimmer said that he thought it went fine or went well. And then I believe one, of, I think it was Mark Craig, asked Zimmer about that play because he he referenced some play where Rhodes is trailing at the end, um, and Zimmer gave the quip that uh, I think PFF would know better or could tell you better of what happened or something like that. <laughs> PFF so. did hold him uh, responsible for a touchdown on Sunday, so it's that was the last. That one. was the one. Although I don't think Zimmer wants to get too deep on PFF this week because Holton Hill had the worst grade of all the cornerbacks this week. I'm here to tell you, Holton Hill actually wasn't the worst corner on the field. I don't know. I, I thought it was. I thought it was Mike Hughes. I honestly did. I thought some of the stuff that happened with Holton was. I thought the passes were better that Aaron Rodgers threw into those spaces against Holton Hill. Mike Hughes was just yards behind the guy that was that was targeted it just didn't look great for me well one of those with Hughes was a free play I think the the one you talk about the one to MVS I think Rogers hard counted there and then basically just threw it up but yeah I, I guess certainly I, got the most of Devontae Adams which probably doesn't make you look good especially when you're that young true true yeah I guess I was thinking of there's a couple third downs where Hughes was beat on out routes and out of the slot and, and Rogers was just eating out of the slot that entire game and, and man that that's where the Vikings, so I guess to me, I hold Mike to a higher standard than like Holton, who was in his, I don't know, third start or fourth start. But like with Hughes, I thought he was so bad in that game and that if they're going into this Colts game, I don't know what you guys think, but I think with, with T.Y. Hilton, a guy who is, has been very good from wherever he lines up, I don't know if this game, it's going to look better because I think Rodgers is prolific and no matter who you put out there and Phillip can be not as great. But I still think this game has the potential for Phillip Rivers to do very, very well if the Vikings uh, don't find a way to bother him. Did, did we ever find out? Because I mean, we, we saw Rivers last December in L.A. Mm -hmm. And he's always had kind of an unorthodox delivery. But it had the, like, old man in a company softball game trying to throw from third to first kind of look to it. And I, it just – he looked – he looked old. I mean <laughs> – I, I I think he could still do it, but it just didn't look like he was 
had quite as much left in that arm. And it, I, I haven't watched him yet this year. I have to go back and watch the game from last Sunday to get a better sense of it. But it's, it's a little hard for me to think that he's going to be throwing the same kind of darts that we saw from Aaron Rodgers. I mean, few people do it, but I just, I don't yeah. know that he's got as much left in his arm as he once had. Well, if they can't get to him, then what's, I guess, if he can just yeah. stand there all day and find the yeah, there's that. That might be the problem because this whole uh-huh. offensive line is pretty good. The thing I can't figure out is, I mean, Rodgers looked as good as I've seen him look in a while, and I, I can't figure out whether this was just one of those kind of perfect storm games where Rodgers comes into an empty stadium, he doesn't have to deal with this, you know, crowd noise, third down thing anymore, and he just picks apart these young cornerbacks and he just gets into this rhythm and he's, he's, he's off to the races. Or if, you know – if if there is if if this is like the the sign of a, lo- a longer term problem where you know these these young corners are going to take longer than even a few weeks to get acclimated to this role and I mean, maybe this will be a good this is probably as good a test as any because it's a it's a veteran quarterback it's a guy who can make the throws but it's it's not the same caliber as Rodgers so if they have a problem against Philip Rivers this week then we got a real problem well, if they have a problem against Phillip Rivers, then you come home against a Titans team that was in the AFC title game last year. I mean, that's Ryan Tannehill. That's not the highest level quarterback you're going to see, but it's a good team. And then you go on the road to face Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson. So you better not have a problem with Phillip Rivers, I think is what I'm trying to say. Because if you do, you're going to have bigger problems coming up in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, and the Colts cast of weapons is not necessarily something to be that feared outside of the offensive line and what kind of the time they can give. Um, Rivers, because outside of T.Y. Hilton, it was Paris Campbell, a second-year guy who's compared often to Percy Harvin, an ode to uh, Mike Rand's Percy Harvin background on Zoom. Um, that's a guy that did a lot for them in the opener, tied, tied the team lead in, lead in targets with nine of them from Rivers. So this is going to be a situation where I don't think I don't think you're going to be, you know, it's not like going against the Falcons where you got to worry about Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, and all these different big weapons. So if the Vikings can somehow get to, to Rivers on defense, that might be the biggest thing. So um, Ngakwe, coming from Jacksonville, knows the, the Colts very well, said today on a conference call with local media that he's going to tell his teammates as much as he possibly can about every Colts offensive lineman. He's played him eight times in the last four years, obviously the former division rival. Um, he's done pretty well against them, but not necessarily lately. Um, he had about, I think, four and a half sacks in his first three games against the Colts, and it's been about two and a half in the last five games. So this is a situation where his Colts offensive line is a lot better than um, maybe in the past when, when Ngakwe was eating off them before. So um, I don't know. I think the Vikings are going to have to find out. This, this is going to be one of those games where if Zimmer can create some, as Frank Wright called them, exotic blitzes, try to come up with some schemes that, that maybe you can um, surprise Phillip Rivers with, that might be the way they have to get pressure because otherwise I don't know how they're going to do it. Um, we should talk about, speaking of quarterback pressure, this Colts defensive line. Mike, what was your worry level about the Vikings offensive line um, and what you saw on Sunday? I, I didn't think they were terrible. I just didn't think we didn't, I don't think we learned a whole lot about the offense, right? I and mean, we, it was, a, again, it was kind of like, remember week one last year where Cousins had to throw 10 passes and they, they won easily. I and mean, it's obviously a much different game than that, but that was kind of a similar case where I don't think we learned a lot. They were playing from behind, you know, for half of this game when it mattered, I didn't think they could, I don't think they were moving the ball or staying on the field. I mean, they had 18 minutes of possession time, the whole game, which is, you know, some of it's because they were scoring fast when they were kind of catching up in the second half, but most of it was just 
that first half where they had the ball for like six or seven minutes and they, they couldn't keep the, the, the defense off the, the Vikings' own defense off the field. So it was worrisome from that standpoint that they weren't able to sustain anything in the first half aside from the scripted first drive. Um, I didn't think Alpine played well at all. Um, you know, there was the kind of stunt where O'Neal and Elfline kind of got caught on that side. I don't know whose fault necessarily that is, but I, I don't, I don't think we learned a ton of their, their grade was not great. If you're looking at PFF and I know Mike Zimmer likes to do that. Um, so I think my level of concern is about the same as it was going into the season. I still don't trust this line and I don't think much that happened on Sunday made me feel any better, um, uh, except that they protected cousins better once Clark got hurt basically. Yeah. And it's DeForest Buckner. It's Justin Houston. It's Darius Leonard at linebacker. It's a lot of good players in the front for Indianapolis. And, and every week we're going to talk about star players, but DeForest Buckner is a particular one, one that the Vikings know pretty well from just facing him in San Francisco uh, in the playoff round. He was very much a part of the reason why that Vikings offense did so poorly in the playoff game in San Francisco. Ben, what, what do you think they need to do on offense to mitigate some of those issues that they had, not only on Sunday against Green Bay, but what they could face in the Colts' defense? Man, I was going to pick them to win this game, and I think I probably still will, but you started to talk me out of it a little bit. <laughs> as you said, I mean, we sit there and go through the names. Yeah, I mean, DeForest Buckner last year was as big of a problem for them in that game as anybody. And you go back to – Week one in 2019 when they saw – or sorry, in 2018 when they saw him. In Cousins' first game at U.S. Bank, DeForest Buckner gave them a lot of trouble that day as well. And I think, um, you know, certainly it's going to be a a tough matchup for them on Sunday. But in terms of what they have to do, I mean, I, I think it's a couple of things. You have to get Dalvin Cook probably more involved in one of two ways, either running the ball or getting the screen game going again, either, you know, to, to keep yourself out of second and eight, third and seven type situations, and probably to keep some of the pressure off of Cousins. And I also think, you, I mean, Irv Smith is the other name that keeps coming up. I mean, that's a guy that you figured was going to become a bigger piece of the offense. It was awfully quiet on Sunday, and they, they just don't have another dynamic threat outside of Adam Thielen that's established right now. And Justin Jefferson, it, it looked in the in training camp like they're going to take it slow with him. And we saw a lot of that on Sunday where he's still third receiver in and not in the base package as much. So when they're going to have two tight ends on the field as much as they do, they need one of those guys to turn into a bigger threat in the passing game. And that probably has to be Irv Smith. So, Getting those guys going and especially getting Dalvin Cook more involved, I think it's got to be a lot of it. Yeah, Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook's the big one to me because early on, I think some of those runs looked much like we had seen in the past. It had looked a lot like, you know, getting stopped for a yard, stopped for two yards. Um, it didn't really look like the same kind of rhythm that they were able to get in. And then obviously when the game gets out of hand, you got to start throwing it. But um, I, I just think this this offense goes as the run goes. Putting it in Kirk's hands is not something you want to do. It's not – you're not you should not expect the Denver game from him I just don't think we can sit there and say that yeah you can go in going all right you know if the defense gets us in a hole we're going to be just okay it's not how this offense has worked it's not how Kirk Cousins throughout his career has typically been Um, and so I think we've always talked about it when they had a better defense this was more of a reality to say but if they can just 
get ahead, maintain that lead, try to milk that time of possession. That's their formula. And they got so out of it in Green Bay that I think, Ben, you had mentioned this, that some of the offensive guys we heard from today on, on our conference calls, it seemed like they were downplaying the amount of points they put up because they realized, hey, it was against the Packers defense that kind of backed off. So how much did we really learn about what this offense is? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Mike Zimmer said it after the game on Sunday too, that it that was a function of how much the Packers had kind of changed the way they were playing. And the Vikings scored quickly on a lot of those second half drives. There were a lot of them that were a minute, a minute and a half kind of things where they moved off. Even the two minute drill at the end of the first half, they execute. I think they had 14 seconds when they got the ball back and uh, moved down the field pretty quickly to, to get in field goal range, but you can't live that way. And it's been, I mean, we talk about time of possession, their last three games at us bank stadium, they held the ball, I think, for a grand total of an hour and three minutes. And, and that, that that's the Packers game. That's the Bears game, which is, you know, that's the backups. But so basically the last two games they played that have mattered were both against the Packers, and they held the ball for a total of, like, um, less than 45 minutes. And it if you're going to do that and going to live that way, you're going to have an awfully hard time, especially for a team that is still very much built to play with a lead. I, and I, I think some of that, they've done that successfully because that's been the philosophy and they've had the personnel to do it. That is still the philosophy. The question is going to be, do they have the personnel to hold a lead and have the pass rush to get back and, and go after quarterbacks without Daniel Hunter and without um, as much that's settled on the front and just without a, a back end that you can trust to hold on. If you don't do that, I think there's a lot of the things that we've come to count on with them on defense that they are still operating as though we're going to be the same and time will tell how different it's going to be, but it certainly looked very different after week one. Yeah. Especially coming off the edge. I thought Sunday against green Bay. I mean, there were some edge runs, whether it was Lazard getting around the edge, Tyler Irvin had a 21 yeah. yard run around the edge. You just didn't see that happen when it was Daniil and Everson off the edge. They, I mean, usually you catch up kind of widen those things out the corners. And I thought, I thought there was, that's, it's not easy to see when when the corners are getting torched 40 yards downfield. It doesn't stand out that much. But those corners, Trey and Xavier, were both very good at, in run support off the edge. Yes. Now without those guys, you see that lapse a little bit. I think Mike Hughes is a guy that certainly gives the effort on there, but physically he's not the same body. He's not six foot yeah. two or whatever Xavier was out there. Um, so it does it does play a different part in that too. And the run game is more vulnerable on the edges, certainly when you don't have Daniil and then Nagakwe up to speed. Yeah, I thought – I mean, and some of this is similarities between all of these schemes, Matt LaFleur, Kyle Shanahan, and, and Gary Kubiak, really, for that matter. I mean, all of these teams play a similar style. But I thought watching that game, especially watching it again early this week, that Matt LaFleur had done his homework from that 49ers playoff game. And, and their offense is going to go that way for their own benefit. But a lot of those lateral runs, a lot of dressing things up with motion – uh, you know, a lot of fake jet sweeps, fake end rounds kinds of things um, just to get people moving laterally and get their eyes moving in a different direction. We saw quite a bit of that. And a lot of the, the little push passes to Alan Lazard, Tyler Irvin, there was a, a lot of that kind of stuff in the scheme on Sunday for the Packers. And some of that's probably going to be part of their offense, but it also, I, I kind of thought the same thing of let's test these young corners in terms of if they're a force player, in a run fit where they have to push things back inside, can they do it? 
And the answer a lot of times on Sunday was no, they couldn't. And it was bad. I mean, it's tough. We'll, we'll get off the Sunday game. But, I mean, some of it was bad matchups, too, because I suppose, like, Lazard's six foot five. Um, I think MVS is a big receiver, too. Yeah, so, he is. And Devontae as well. So, I, mean, I think the Colts have some smaller guys out there. So, maybe in the run. But then Jonathan Taylor's a, a load to handle. So, I don't know if the run's going to be much easier to handle for them on Sunday. Um, let's get to some questions, though, to, to wrap up the podcast. Um, we got plenty of them on Twitter. Again, you can always send them to my Twitter account at Andrew underscore Kramer. Also, before we get to questions, um, a lot of people have had issues downloading the full episode of the podcast or it cutting off. Um, hopefully you've made it to this point where I'm telling you guys what to do. One listener has found out an example that, that has helped him anyway fix it. And we're just troubleshooting things along here, so bear with me. But um, apparently if you go into your Apple iPhone storage, you go into your settings and all that and you delete the stored Access Vikings files. Um, that apparently helps people get the full file and re-download the full thing. So if you are having problems, try that. Maybe that'll troubleshoot it for you. I always just stream podcasts, so it works fine on that regard. But I also have a limited data through work. Sorry, Dean yeah. Counters, if you're listening to this, a lot of what you pay for every month is me streaming podcasts. <laughs> for work purposes, it's educational. It's fine. Exactly. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Let's let's start with some questions. Mike, do you have some? Let's let's just go for the jugular right now. Nick Nick wants to know if, if things look just as ugly on Sunday, can we officially panic? Um, yes, yes, uh, yeah. You can officially panic if things are as bad as they look, because as we as we pointed out, if you read any of our work at the Star Tribune, you would know uh, the historical context of how bad Sunday was. Forty three points, not a total. Forty one, if you just count offensive points, not a total that gets put up on Mike Zimmer defenses very often. Uh, it's the worst yardage total put up on the Vikings since that Rams game in 2018. We all know how bad that was. If it's anywhere near as bad against a Phillip Rivers who has been turning the ball over at such an insane rate through the second half of his career, particularly these last couple years, and then a guy that you also – I know it's a different defense with the Vikings, but a guy that you were able to turn over, what was it, seven times last year? Um, yeah, yeah, that game in, in L.A. where they had the Odenabo fumble return, yeah, it was – that was pretty ridiculous. So, Ben, I would, I would say full panic mode if it's just as bad this time around. I would agree. I mean, the Colts are an interesting team because I think everybody likes what they're trying to do. And a lot of this analysis was before they had Andrew Luck sort of spontaneously retire before last season. But I think a lot of people nationally like the, the people that are in charge of the organization. Chris Ballard is well-respected. Frank Reich is well-respected. Um, and certainly Frank Reich and Philip Rivers have a relationship when Reich was the offensive coordinator in San Diego. And from, I remember talking to John Filippo about this, that a lot of the, the hurry up stuff and a lot of the RPO stuff that the Eagles started to do was from Reich in San Diego and, and stuff they'd brought along, or at least, yeah, a lot of the, the, the tenants of that scheme had come from him. So people like the approach they're trying to take, but the talent level certainly especially on what the Vikings are going to see on offense is not what you see with Aaron Rodgers, at least in terms of quarterback. It's certainly not where you're going to see in terms of the way the Titans are going to attack you with Derrick Henry. And then the two big ones after that with Deshaun Watson and company and Russell Wilson and company. So yes, if they lose this, you have to panic. And the stats about going 0-2 and making the playoffs have to be taken into some context because we now have seven playoff teams, so it should be a little easier to make the playoffs, even if you go 0-2. But uh, you, you certainly don't want to be in a position where you have to finish 
basically probably nine and five with a young team. I, that's not a spot the Vikings want to be in. So yeah, this is a an important one for them to win if they want to avoid panic about their postseason possibilities. All right, we got Bud asking: Will Pat Elfline have a long leash this season? Um, said I saw him give up a bunch of pressures on Cousins last week. Uh, we all saw Zadarius Smith. He looked pretty brutal in the passing game. Uh, Mike, I think they have to have him on a long leash because who do they got behind him? It's just love to love to have a, a long leash on a guy who hasn't really performed. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it kind of is what it is right now. They they they've they've kind of decided what they're. And it's not great, but uh, you know they're gonna have to they're gonna have to live with it. I, I don't I don't love it, but that that's kind of the reality right now. I think. I think you're right because the backups right now at guard are Ezra Cleveland, who rookie developmental guy, not really uh, at this point wanting to put him in, but they got him at guard because that's the most direct route he might have to contribute, considering their depth of tackle with Rashad Hill and Ole Udo. And then it's Drew Samia. I think Drew Samia is obviously the guy who practiced a right guard behind Pat Elfline but it was never really considered for the starting job this off season. Um, I think it's going to take some kind of injury or something, not that you would ever wish that, but I think it's going to take something that removes Pat Elfline out outside of a coach's decision because Ben, it seems like they've got him kind of fixated at that spot and it's a contract year. This is the kind of last hope to see what you got in him. Yeah, it is. I mean, and you have a few things and you, you touched on them briefly there, but you have a few things working in Pat Elfline's favor. Number one, it is a contract year for a guy they traded up to get in the third round. Guys like that it certainly end up with a little more rope. Um, it's not certainly just the case here. I mean, there's I think around the NFL, players in that spot and certainly players in draft and develop organizations like the Vikings have tend to get a little more leeway. And it's also a year where you didn't have time to get a lot of these guys ready. We heard a lot of talk about Drew Samia and how he was ready to push for a starting spot. Either that didn't come to be the case because they weren't impressed with what they saw or the fact that you didn't have the full spring to take a look at him and, and work some things out, maybe change that plan. But yeah, there's not a lot there behind Pat Elfline and they've got a little bit of cap space to work with to go pick up a veteran. But realistically, you probably have what you started the regular season with in a year like this, which probably means it's, it's Pat Elfline's job. Yeah, I can't imagine they've got a whole lot of room to to play with in terms of financially. Now they can two point four million. Yeah, they the can moment. move they can move things around if they want to mortgage a veteran's contract like they did with Eric Kendricks to make room for Dalvin Cook's deal. Um, but you know, I I just don't see them kind of making a play. Like Josh Klein, I guess, is still out there. He's still got some guards out there, but um, I don't know if he's going to hop in the middle of a pandemic. Maybe he is going to play for veteran minimum, but I just would be kind of surprised if that's a guy they could get for that kind of price. And right now, these are the guys they got. And so I do not imagine Pat Elfline being on much of a short leash. Um, we've got a question from Chap wanting to know, very topical question, will Jeff Gladney get more meaningful snaps this weekend? Uh, ben, you and I were just out of practice. Cameron Dantzler is not working with um, the team right now. Is out there in sweatpants watching them practice. So we're going to see on the injury report what exactly is going on with him. Yep. But if, he, if he's unable to go, it would be Jeff Gladney stepping up, right? Yeah, it would, and I. it's been hard to get a great sense of whether they were being cautious with Gladney after that knee surgery or if they're not terribly thrilled with what they've seen and they regard him as their number four guy. I mean, that would be, you know, I, it, it's, you want to say concerning, but it's also tough to expect rookie corners to come in and, and jump right in and, and be reliable right away. That That's the spot they're in. That's the spot that, 
this sort of, uh, as Rick Spielman has termed it, evolution of the roster has put them in, but it also happened in a year where they didn't have a chance to get everybody ready. So will he get more meaningful snaps? I, I think there's certainly a possibility of that. The question I would ask is why hasn't he to this point, given the fact that they can't do the redshirt thing the same way that they normally do with rookies. Obviously, Cameron Dantzler starting shows you that. So that would be the thing I'd be wondering about as much as anything. Do we want to get to the second and third parts of of his question here? He, he went with the old uh, compound question, which is oh, why sure. you don't do it in journalism, because then people answer the one that they choose to answer, not the one that you wanted them to answer. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah, re- The chap, if you end up being a – well, my, my biggest advice is don't go into this career. But if you do, compound questions – sometimes get you in trouble, but we will answer them anyway. Uh, is Daniil looking hunchy? Yeah, uh, is, then I can't answer it, probably karma there. Uh, is Daniil looking healthy for week four? Is Yannick practicing at full strength today? Is Cam Dantzler okay? It's actually four questions. <laughs> Hunter. I have a four-part question. Hunter, yeah, right. I would say is, you know, it sounds like it's, precautionary Rick Spielman has hinted in his interview on Sirius XM last week that they think he'll be back but when they have when it's a neck and when they've not been terribly transparent about it I don't think you can assume anything until we see him back out there he was doing a little more today he was running a little bit more than we've seen him but we'll see um and Gakwe I think was at full strength he looked like he was out there um Seemed like he's fine. We don't get to see a lot of practice this time of year. So Dantzler we just talked about too. But, yeah, there's there's a lot to be uh, desired in terms of the health of their pass rushers and their secondary, which are two important positions on the defense. Yeah, y- Yannick was um, practicing out there today. We'll see if he got a full session in. Um, on the broadcast, they said he was taping up his right ankle. He had some kind of uh, ankle issue going on. But We'll see if it's even injury report worthy or not, but the good thing is, is he was out there practicing. We talked to him today, and he had said that he's very much looking forward to going out there and trying to do better. I think he said he has a bad taste in his mouth is how he described it. Yes, um, he did say. From, from Sunday, and, and he had a limited role. I think he played about 50% or 60% of the snaps or something like that. So that role will kind of continually grow, and as Mike Zimmer had said, they hope to see better from him as he kind of adapts to what they're asking him to do. But as far as Daniil, the whole Vikings hope has got to be that this defense turns around not only because the young corners take step forward, but because this pass rush then returns to form. If you get a healthy Daniel opposite um, kind of a, a, you know, full strength Ngakwe and kind of comfortable in what he's doing. All right, let's move on to uh, Josh. Josh asks, will the Vikings run more three, three, five? I love these wonky questions. Will the Vikings run more three, three, five on passing downs to keep better players on the field and make their pass rush more unpredictable? Um, I would say if, if yes, if they're in passing downs, it's an interesting look to go into. Um, but if they're not, I don't think the Vikings have much of a chance to do that because the Colts got a lot of big bodies up front. They like to push the, they like to push the line, run the ball. Jonathan Taylor is going to be one of the harder running backs to bring down, um, as we'd seen what he did with Wisconsin. So I think the Vikings are going to be in a lot of four, three on first and second down. And then, Mike, Ben, I don't know what you guys think about what they can do to try to mix things up on passing downs, but I think they need to get creative because the pass rush is just not there instantaneously. Yeah, I thought it was interesting Sunday, too. I mean, the Packers kept them in base a lot to the point where they had a third and seven, I think, on the Alan Lazard, the long reception that Rodgers hit Lazard on in the second half. 
Eric Kendricks was pattern matching Lazard. Eric Kendricks was still in the game. Well, no, sorry. He was, he was as part of their base package. They didn't have a nickel corner in there, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So Kendricks had to carry him up the field, at least for the first part of that route. And then they didn't have anybody that carried him completely vertically. Cause I'm guessing that was not Kendricks responsibility, but Eric Wilson was still in the game. They didn't have a slot corner in on that play. And, and they're, they were just they had a lot of time where they were in base and it was interesting on passing downs especially that one where it seemed like a fairly obvious passing situation to not see them put a nickel corner in the game which either tells you they they weren't happy with their matchups there or they maybe thought the Packers were going to do something that they still needed heavier personnel in the game but I would expect that we're going to see a fair amount of base personnel again on Sunday which means they have to be able to deal with whatever they get in those passing situations and have those linebackers cover as well. I don't know if – did you notice that, Andrew, when you went back through it for your film stuff today? I did notice that they were in base quite a bit. Yeah, I think the Packers are, are leaning more into the heavier tight end sets. Yeah. And then when they had the lead, obviously, you're just going to – you're going to run more bulk up. But I, I do think that kind of kept the Vikings off balance a little bit, throwing from those sets, and that's what the Vikings enjoy so often too, getting to put mm-hmm. multiple tight yep. ends on the field and getting to throw from that. So they kind of got a taste of their own medicine a little bit there. But um, the Colts, the Colts like to spread it out more. The Colts, I mean, they've got bigger bodies on the offensive line, but they like to spread it out. Um, So I'm interested to see kind of what shape they take. Because if the Colts are looking at what happened to the Vikings, they might be saying, hey, let's put four wide receivers on the field and just try to attack these defensive backs. Because it it works so well for the Packers at times on on, uh, Sunday. So I think there, there are a few ways it can go, but I just think the Vikings are going to really need as many big bodies up front, which means not taking a defensive lineman off the field uh, to stop that running game in, in the Colts because this Colts offensive line is pretty good. As far as how they pressure from that, it, I mean, they blitzed a fair amount, probably more than they usually do on Sunday. I mean, at least they sent extra pressure a lot of times. I think it was 20 of 44 dropbacks, if I recall, uh, against yeah. Aaron Rodgers and still didn't get home when they did it. Yeah, they did. And they, they weren't able to, to kind of take them down. But I remember going back through some of the blitzes that they did have. And it was it was fairly effective outside of a couple times they got beat. And then Anthony Barrett said that they had to kind of scale that back in the second half. I'm not exactly sure why. He had said that Green Bay was protecting better. So maybe it's just, as you had said, maybe it's just because they really weren't getting the pressure on it. They didn't feel comfortable with calling it. Um, but it's going to be even harder this time around, as you had said. So And the Packers lost multiple offensive linemen to injury. Yeah, in that game, which is not a good sign for the Vikings trying to get that pass rush. So uh, we'll see. Um, Mike, are there any more questions we should get to? We have a chicken fingers question. Oh, we do. No, we can't do that one. That's a, what did he say? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll read it anyway. I'll read it. I'll read it. Um, where is it? He said something about. That I do have a question for Randall that I have not seen addressed elsewhere. I don't need to write it out. He knows what it is. Yeah, this is about a, uh, he keeps addressing me about a uh, kind of a controversial song that's out right now. And he wants to have that, uh, he wants to have that uh, addressed in the context of every Minnesota sports team. So we're not going to address that. <laughs> it's just, we'll, we'll just let that go as a statement. Of the week. Let's do one more question and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get it. There's a taco got, bet. Yeah, so Joel, Joel Thomas wants to know, I'm willing to bet tacos that this team will go six and 10 or seven to nine. And I will actually honor that bet. Unlike Andrew Kramer. Deeper. That's mostly why I wanted this brought up, too. He called out is, Kramer as a deadbeat. Yeah, this is not an overreaction because it can't be assumed that Zim – it can be assumed that Zim doesn't have his premier defense and this offense isn't carrying this team to a winning record. 
takers, taco takers on this one. I don't think I, seven and nine isn't out of the question to me. I mean, it's kind of like Ben said, I mean, the, the panic would be more, the panic for me would be less confidence that Zimmer can kind of figure something out on defense as this goes along. The panic for me would be they lose to the Colts. They're, they're staring at a, a one and four very, very possibly through five games. And that's a, you know, to come back from that, is a, is a lot of, you know, to get to, to seven and nine from one and four means you went six and five over your last 11. So I don't think that's outlandish. I, I don't think I'm ready to judge Zimmer's team yet, but I don't think that's far fetched. So the pandemic doesn't, that's not an excuse for, for these taco bets, not paying them off. Do I still owe one? Is that the, is that the deal? No, I think you finally paid us off. It took like a year mm-hmm. for that right. to happen, but I, and I think that was pre pandemic, right? Yes. Yeah, you would be pre-pandemic, yes. Okay, I'm <laughs> just checking. Okay. <laughs> it hasn't been that long yet, but yes. <laughs> Feels like it. Um, no, I don't well, think 7 is that far off. I, I really don't. And that's – maybe it's hyperbolic after what we just witnessed, but um, I just don't think this offensive line has shown the kind of um, progression that would make you think that, okay, they're going to they're gonna put up in a shootout against a really good defensive front. And then I also don't know if this defense – Hunter's injury is really the thing that throws the wrench in the whole thing, right? Because yes. you just assume, you'd assume like, okay, Daniil's going to get you the pressure while Yannick kind of comes along and kind of – and without him, all eyes are on Nagakwe to kind of produce. And, and you still have obviously then Afadi being that guy trying to take that big next step. So, um, yeah, I, I just – right now they need to show me something that they can go out there and take the ball away from a turnover-prone Phillip Rivers. And if they can do that, then I'll, I'll probably feel a little bit better about thinking this is a 500 team. So – are we all – I mean, you're saying you're not taking the bet then. And everybody's saying we're not taking that action because we all agree with the idea that they're going to be that bad. I'll say Josh is not much of a gambler because that's not a tough bet to – yeah, that's – being on the side of they're going to not be that great. Sorry, Joel. Oh, Joel. Joel is our, is our uh, better in this case. We have another question. Josh was the three three five. My bad. My bad, Joel. I, yeah, you're not much of a better if, if that's the bet you're taking. The bet to place now would be that they're going to be 10 and 6 or something despite that. Um, no, I think we all fall on the – this just doesn't look like a, a kind of well-rounded team as we're used to seeing right now. I, part of me feels like I'd take it. I, I, I still tend to think that they'll at least be good enough. I don't think I'd take 6 and 10. Uh, well, I, I sorry, I should say I would take six. I would bet that they're going to be better than six and ten. I yeah. I could see seven and nine. So Joel, get back to me. Let's say I'm, we're not fudging this. Uh, if you're giving me the over under at six, I will take the over. If you're giving me the over under at seven, uh, I probably need to think about that a little bit more. So get back to me, and if you want to wait until after Sunday, then I'll have a better idea of it than two. But, Come on. Uh, no, I I. I think if it, if you're talking six and ten for tacos, yeah, I'll, I'll take that action. I think I, I bet the over on that. I like tacos. All right, well, that should do it then for this episode of the Access Vikings podcast. Thanks to all you guys for checking us out. Please check out all of our work at StarTribune.com. Maybe you should get off the podcast.